0: listening to a podcast from The National. On April 2002, a 12-meter statue of Saddam Hussein was erected in Furdos Square, a central area of Baghdad. The image of the dictator was hard to miss for drivers navigating their way through the roundabout, Muslims heeding the call to prayer at the iconic 200-year-old mosque, or any visitor of the Iraqi capital's two biggest hotels. The statue depicts Saddam, standing heels together and his right arm outstretched in an open palm, the closest he got to an iconic pose. It was a symbol of Saddam's confidence and the tenacity with which he ruthlessly ruled the country. At the time, it was almost unimaginable that the statue would ever be torn down. But less than a year later, on April 9, 2003, Three weeks after the U.S. launched Operation Iraqi Freedom, it was all over the news. The images and videos of Iraqis helped by U.S. soldiers tearing down the Firdos Square statue of Saddam. Whether it was a media stunt, as some claimed, or a moment of destructive revelry by the Iraqis, it served as a monumental turning point in the country's history. On this episode of Beyond the Headlines, we look at that moment, 15 years since the fall of Saddam. I am your host, Nasr al-Wesmi, and I'll be talking to Iraqis who were there at the time and others who witnessed the event from abroad. Rasha al-Aqidi was in Mosul at the time of Saddam's fall. Today, she works as a researcher in Al-Masbar Studies and Research Center in Dubai. This is what she had to say on the fall of Saddam as both a moment of joy and great concern for the country.
1: I think it was a moment of disbelief for for many, especially those of us who were in Iraq in the, at the moment and who had been living in Iraq and uh, under Saddam's rule for so long. Because in our psyche, Saddam was sort of this kind of like an immortal kind of leader, someone who simply cannot just disappear. And the moment when the statue fell and the after the immediate aftermath, when people were tearing up his portraits and his photos and cursing him in public, it was kind of a shocking moment, something that I don't think anyone ever thought that they'd experienced during their lifetime.
0: Do you find it that, I mean, there was there a moment of destructive revelry. A lot of people are saying that that event was staged. Whether it was or not, did it kind of stand for a symbol of how the the battle was going?
1: I don't, I don't think, I don't necessarily think so. I think... It, the reaction to Saddam falling was just, it was, it was, that was just an expression of it, expression of the shock and, uh, and the overwhelming kind of, um, disbelief that so many people felt at the time. It wasn't a, it wasn't a symbol of liberty or freedom. And I don't think it was also a symbol necessarily of destruction.
0: And then 15 years on, do you think it was a good decision? I mean, how is it viewed at this point?
1: Uh, That's a very controversial question, and I don't think there's a safe answer to it. I don't think the removal of Saddam, per se, was the issue. I think it was the destruction of the state institutions afterwards and invading the country without a proper plan. I think that was the problem. And that's why everything sort of kind of fell fell out of the place, Uh, not necessarily because the leader himself was removed. I think that moment had to happen at some point, and it brought relief to thousands and thousands of his victims. But a huge, a huge decision like that without a proper plan, um, that was a massive mistake. And one should tell, should ask the people then, what were you thinking? This is not an easy decision. You don't just remove a leader and think everything's going to stay in place, especially if you intend also on breaking up the state institutions.
0: I think a vast majority of Iraqis, both the ones living in Iraq and abroad in the huge diasporas all over Europe or America or the rest of the Arab world, at that moment, they s- might have viewed it as you know, a completely positive decision. But now, 15 years after the fact, you find mm-hmm. maybe that there's some Iraqis that w- hearken back to that era and say that actually the times of Saddam were better than today.
1: Nostalgia for Saddam is is quite uh, multi leveled. I don't think there's general nostalgia for him or his years or his rule rule or the years that Iraq spent under the, the economic sanctions. I think it's just nostalgia for stability and um, for for safety and for security. Um, and it's also it just shows you also that in Iraq how low how low the bar actually is that people are now saying that we'd be content with someone like Saddam and they say that metaphorically I don't think anyone sincerely means it but how we'd be content with Saddam because the situation in the country is so bad and for those who are actually nostalgic for Saddam himself I think that's uh, that falls into different categories that's a complete different category uh, when you hear something from when you hear something like we, miss those days coming from non-Sunnis, and I don't want to break this down into sectarian divisions, but it's inevitable, um, you, you hear that from, from a Kurd or from a Shi'ite, it's kind of more, uh, more acceptable, because you understand that they mean the situation is so bad now. Hearing it, however, from a Sunni kind of falls into a different category, kind of into the superiority, um, the dismissal of, uh, of suffering of others. And uh, it's, it's a complicated question, but it's, some, it's a question that I think should be also directed to our leaders and politicians, just as a statement. Like, this is what some Iraqis are saying. Are you proud of yourselves?
0: What kind of lasting effect do you think Saddam had on the country uh, now, again, almost two decades after the fact?
1: I would say the, the biggest impact would be normalizing corruption a lot of people look at corruption as something of a symptom of post-2003. Well, it was actually the economic sanctions that normalized um, bribery and corruption in the country because the economic situation was so awful. And this is not to to justify it, but for some families, it was the only way for them to make ends meet. And easy money, you know, just kind of becomes a habit. And it played along after 2003, just even became more easier. And I think... That sense of cor- that, the culture of corruption that came, um, especially after 1991, I don't think that's going to be eradicated anytime soon.
0: I was sent three images from Amman uh, earlier this week, and it showed a silhouette picture of Saddam's face on the back of cars. I'm just wondering is he becoming a sort of folk hero, a champion of the Arabs?
1: I think Saddam will be. Um, always, always has been, and will continue to be a hero for for certain people and for certain mentalities and mindsets, and I don't think that's going to change. I also don't think it's it's something to dwell upon, or I don't think it's something that important. Like decisions in the country should not be built on the fact that some Iraqi diaspora in Jordan or in Europe or somewhere ever has a portrait of Saddam in his car. Um, I, you know, people look up to different things for different reasons, and uh, this kind of falls into that.
0: Personally, where were you when you saw those iconic images of the twelve-meter statue falling? How, what uh, were your well, initial was, thoughts?
1: I, yeah, I was. I was in Mosul in my family's home at the time. Some relatives were gathering, and it was a very shocking moment. at the At the time, national state television had stopped broadcasting, so we were picking up some um, reception from. From the KRG, from the Kurdistan channels, and I think they were broadcasting live images from Kuwait. There was there was there was a sense of celebration. I think it was a Kuwaiti TV channel celebrations and Sakat al and you know the fall of the tyrants and this and that in Arabic in a in a Khaliji Gulf dialect. Um, and it was it was very shocking. I think uh, there was a sense of kind of relief. At the same time, there was a there was a there was fear of the unknown. What's going to happen? The sight of, the, of American tanks in Baghdad was, it was just too surreal. It did look like it was from a movie. I, I remember one of my relatives saying, I don't think this is real. This looks like an image from a film. They probably just directed this and they're just broadcasting it. You know, that's some kind of conspiracy. But that's, I, I remember that. It's definitely a moment I'm not going to forget.
0: Do you think people had the foresight then to know that it wasn't going to be an easy ride afterwards?
1: I think for 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 locals, yes, um, because they had just witnessed the heavy you know bombing campaign that lasted for a few weeks. Um, it, it, there was still a sense of violence. and because also people knew knew the Baathists very well. they knew the La very well. And even if they even if they're defeated on the surface, they don't give up easily. And there's no limit to the horror that they can do to get their way. So there was also fear of, of reprisals and, and, and revenge.
0: Is there a bigger diaspora before 2003 than there is now?
1: No, absolutely not. I'm sure the diaspora now is by far larger. Um, millions of people have left the country and uh, due to the lack of a security and stability, not, not because Saddam is no longer in power. I think if Iraq had turned out to be better, these large numbers would not have left, of course. It's a loss, a huge loss of talent, a huge loss of, um, of very, very, um, you know, very, very talented people, doctors, pharmacists, engineers, uh, college professors, uh, people that the country should be relying on for reconstruction to rebuild itself. Uh, and they've left, obviously, a huge vacuum. Uh, huge numbers also left because they no longer had an income, whether it's debatification or whether it was death threats from extremist groups. Uh, they had no other choice to leave, but to leave.
0: And what about 15 years from now? How do you think that moment will be viewed?
1: Uh, I think it's, uh, I, I'm trying my best to be optimistic. I mean, there are positive signs here and there, but I don't feel that the security architecture in the country is, is durable. I don't think people, are, I think it's, I think it's playing too much on emotions and not so much on logic and on rationality. Uh, I also don't think the economy is strong enough uh, or will be strong enough in the next 15 years unless corruption and mismanagement is tackled from the roots. I think Iraq is approaching quickly. uh, Also, there are environmental issues and uh, water resources, problems that are very complex that people don't want to talk about because we're still kind of high on the victory Um, against ISIS. I think uh, Iraq could be heading towards this state where different provinces just kind of fend for themselves, with Baghdad being the central, the capital that's functioning and people want to think everything is okay while the rest of Iraq kind of lives in chaos and is barely functioning on its own. So it's not a very pretty picture, and I truly hope I'm wrong.
0: Millions of Iraqi were in exile during Saddam's reign, and millions more afterwards. After his fall, hundreds of thousands returned to Iraq to help rebuild a country that was devastated by the whims of a tyrant. A war without an exit strategy didn't help the situation, but many felt it was their duty to a country they hadn't seen for decades. Mina al-Duroubi, a reporter on The National's Foreign Desk, was in London when she saw the news on April 2003. Although only 14, she remembers the event as sparking a reaction that still marks the politics of Iraq today. Where were you when you saw the image of oh, the Saddam statue falling?
2: So I was at home, sitting down with my parents. I was 14 years old at the time. And it was just a moment of, of calmness, of peace. But at the same time, I can also see, I can see the distress Mm. That they were that, that they were thinking about what's going to happen to Iraq, like what next? who's going to be coming after Saddam, and are we able to see our families that are there? So they were in two minds, but just for that split second, when that statue came down i I sensed that they were relieved, mm. probably for the first time in their lives Mm-mm. um it was I mean, I was young at the time, so I didn't really understand it. I obviously understood that the the consequences of the war and what it had and 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 being just just being away from your family and your relatives and not being able to have a place where you can actually call home. Mm-hmm. Um I understood that but I as I'm getting older I'm understanding uh, the pain and and just the, the the stress and anxiety that they went through especially during the 70s and the 80s and um so, that statue, the fall of that statue, was just—I uh, th- I don't think there's any word to describe what they have, what they went through.
0: You, you, at that point, there was a huge uh, Iraqi diaspora in the UK and London. Uh, what were the reactions from other uh, people, both you know, maybe your parents, friends, and also maybe your friends? Uh, 14 years old, you got a awareness of the news at that point, especially news about Iraq. So what were their reactions?
2: So at the time, I remember there was was a protest going on in London. People were just going out on the streets in central London and protesting against the war. And I remember I was in high school at the time when the war started and all the students, they protested and they didn't want to attend any of the classes. So everybody was out on the fields with their banners up, no to war, no to dictatorship, no, no to Saddam. And and my school was predominantly Asian than English. And being Iraqi was a minority. So I wasn't really, there wasn't many of us in the school. So for me, it was a shock to see nearly every student out protesting and and sort of going against, uh, defying what the Americans and the British were doing in my country. Mm -hmm. So in the sense where... For young, for the young generation, they were very, really, really passionate and they were highly against the war. And even for the diaspora, the Iraqi diaspora in London and even in England, I think people were always in two minds. You know, they were always against, um, obviously, Saddam and dictatorship, but they were also against war, hmm. you know, because they knew that this would have a toll on Iraqi civilians and they would be paying the price for the consequences are of, of of what the war could do. Mm-hmm. So so the Iraqi diaspora from what I understood they were always in two minds, you know, they wanted they wanted Saddam gone, but they were afraid of what's going to be coming next. So the question always pops up is Iraq going to be better under Saddam or 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 with, you know, or without mm-hmm.
0: him. I remember from my perspective we were given two months off of school because, uh, all the Americans and the country, the embassy had recalled them, all the Canadians followed suit and then the Australians. So basically there were no teachers left in school. Uh, the war, when it was launched, Iraqis looked, or Iraq, Iraq, and the war in Iraq, Kuwaitis looked very favorable onto that. I was wondering what was the reaction of the, uh, Iraqi community in the UK, were they in favor of the war?
2: I mean, like I said, I don't think that anyone is in favor of a war, especially in their country. Mm. Um, but I think they were all in favor of, of of Saddam leaving, and they wanted a change. I mean, Saddam was in power for over 35 years, and there was always sort of this system of dictatorship mm. where you couldn't do what you wanted to do, and you couldn't—you weren't free to express your own emotions and, and your ideas. So I think... Iraqis wanted a change. As an Iraqi myself, I wanted to be able to go back to my country and to and to to see it and, and to hear and and to kind of put pictures to the stories that I've been told about since I was uh, since I was born, basically. Go back to my old house and visit uh, and just get to know what my country, what my what my city is all about, Baghdad. Um, so I think that's what people wanted to do. They were hopeful that even though they knew the consequences of what the war can do. They were hopeful that they could maybe go back one day, Mm. even go back home. Mm.
0: Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis did eventually go back after the fall of Saddam. Many of the Iraqis that were outside of the country uh, were so because of fear of repercussions. If they return, they might be on the death list or they might be political adversaries to Saddam. In the community that you were in, was there any people who were... (laughs) keen on returning and then maybe as the war dragged on and they found out that the situation isn't as easy as getting rid of a dictator and therefore a peaceful country where they may be then deterred from going do you know anyone who did eventually go back and work in government or anything like that
2: actually during my studies uh, in soas i studied middle east politics uh, in 2000 this was 2010 to 2011 Hmm. And um, some of the students that I was with are actually in Baghdad at the moment and they're working in the government. Um, and, you know, for them, I mean, for me, seeing my fellow Iraqis going back and actually giving back mm-hmm. to Iraq, let's say, uh, is something that's really hopeful, especially for the young generation, mm-hmm. such as myself and yourself as well. Um, so in that in that sense, people were, like I said, were hopeful um, – uh, but at the same time, I, for my family and our friends, I um, I didn't think that anybody was was thinking to go back mm. to Iraq after the war. Uh, they were just fearful of what's gonna happen, and they were always in. They were sort of contesting whether we should go back or not, especially because Iraqis in general, we go through so many journeys to get to where we get to, you know, either in Europe or America, that starting their lives all over again is such a, it, it's, it's difficult, it's mm. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but for those that have, that had political aspirations, they, I do know some people, some people's families that have gone back, mm. And that, and they've had their lives put in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them have decided to not pursue their political careers.
0: 15 years since the fall of that statue, how do you see Iraq 15 years from today? So 30 years after the fall of Saddam's statue.
2: I am very skeptical mm. about what's going to happen to Iraq. And I, I know this may sound like I've, I've given up but I don't see any hope. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, the country is facing corruption. You know, you've got this crippled system that's on the verge of collapse, mm. uh, uh, that's on the verge of a collapse. You've got security concerns. Even though victory was declared over ISIL and extremists in in, in December, the country is still fighting um, ISIL's sleeping cells mm. and and. There's various forms of groups that are em- emerging and the, the security battle is still ongoing. And I feel as though trust between people are, is broken. So there's a lot that needs to be done in Iraq for it to go back.
0: I'd like to thank my guests, rashal Al-Aqidi and Mina al for being on another episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'd also like to thank my producer, Kevin Jeffers can find this and all the other national podcasts such as Extra Time and Business Extra on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. I've been your host, Nasr al-Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.